Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Whitney, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure. So you and I met uh, via our mutual friend, Mike Rohde, who I usually email every couple of weeks and say, who do you have up your sleeve? Because he's been a continual referring source for uh, amazing people. And when I saw what you're up to, I said, I want you to introduce me to her first. uh, And I want to get her on the show as soon as possible. So it is really, really great to have you here. Well, thank you so much. And thanks to Mike for recommending me. Yeah. So uh, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, uh, your story, your background, your journey, and uh, everything that has led you to what you're up to now, (laughs) which I realize is a massive question. Well, I was born on a very hot day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I have a background in user experience. I've spent the last 12 years as a user experience practitioner. And my focus was really in helping businesses make their products easier and more pleasurable to use. And over the last few years, I realized that in an effort to solve companies' problems, I was really getting in the way of them learning how to solve their own problems. And I was struggling with how to make that shift in my own work. And after a lot of searching the web and soul searching, I happened upon coaching, which was something I had vaguely heard of but really didn't know much about. And then once I started to dig into it more, I realized that this held the key to a lot of opportunity for me to shift the way that I approach my work from giving a fish to teaching to fish and to change the way I interact with my clients. And I became a certified coach in June of 2014. I got some credentials from the International Coach Federation earlier this month Um, and I'm on my way and I'm completely transforming my business. It's been a wild experience. Hmm. So you having heard a few of my interviews probably know that I want to look, uh, back much, much earlier than this at the formative experiences of your life growing up, childhood, parents, influences, mentors. I mean, what ultimately led you down this path? (laughs) When I was three years old, 
Um, I'm an only child and my parents are entrepreneurs and they are in public relations, but they always worked in technology. So they've had a business for the last 40 years where they were establishing tech brands in consumer electronics in the mid-1970s. And so we always had a lot of tech in the house, and I became very adept at using technology at a very young age. And when I was three years old, I was the only person in the house who could figure out how to set the time on the VCR. And you know, if you remember, that when the VCR got unplugged or when, like, the power, you know, switched over or whatever, you'd have that blinking 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And it was so always such an annoyance. But I figured out, like, how to play with the buttons on the VCR to set the time. And I, you know, just became the person that did this, like, for everyone who lived in our apartment building and <laughs> my grandparents and their friends. And... Many years later, um, when I was entering high school, I had a an administrator from my school who I didn't know very well, but who apparently knew that I hung out in the computer lab a lot, approached me and said, you know, when you go into high school next year, you will have the opportunity to pick an elective. And I really think that you should pick computer science. And I said, what's computer science? And he said, it's making computer programs. And I said, that sounds cool. And so I, I took the class, ninth grade, and my school only offered one computer science class. But I loved it so much that I took it every other year of high school. And this, you know, this sense that I had of myself as like a gadget person or just like really technolo- technologically inclined – stayed with me and then my high school computer science teacher encouraged me to go to college for computer science and I ended up at Carnegie Mellon and very soon after getting there even though I had amazing professors and I loved the people I was in class with I came to realize that I was not meant to write code for a living that just was not something I wanted to do with my life and I fell in love with writing English And it was through a uh, required course for all freshmen, a kind of kind of a writing 101, that I fell in love with writing of a very different kind and realized that was my true passion, even though I had always been pushed in this, you know, math, science, technology direction, it was really writing that I wanted to do with my life. But a couple years into doing that, even though I was loving everything about it, I was missing tech and I was exploring um, what computer science classes I could take even though I wasn't going to major in it that I could just take on the side because I still wanted to stay connected to that work. And flipping through the course catalog, I happened upon in the computer science section a program called Human Computer Interaction. And it was described, this little blurb, beneath the headline, described it as the synthesis of computer science, design, psychology, and statistics. And it was like this light bulb went off over my head and I realized, now that's what I'm talking about. And I explored it further and I ended up pursuing it as a double major. And then I stayed at Carnegie Mellon to get my master's in HCI. 
And all the while, it was like, that's what the issue was when I was three years old dealing with that VCR. Even though I was so young, I had a sense that there was something really wrong with the world when a three-year-old could figure out how to do something that an adult couldn't. And I was driven by this desire to bring more understanding about people's capabilities and their perspective and their mentality to technology so that we could create technology that's easier and more pleasurable to use. And that was ultimately what led me into user experience. Hmm. What uh, has been the uh, impact of being an only child uh, in the way that you approach a human computer experience and and design? (laughs) Well, I suppose I am naturally convinced that I should always get my way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's, it's really interesting that you asked that question because I had two working parents who were very committed to their business. And as an only child, they were my playmates, but they were often occupied with other things. And at a pretty young age, I remember trying to, you know, get my dad to play with me and he was busy doing something else. And he said, with no malice, you know, Whitney, you're an only child. You're going to have to learn how to play alone. And I think that really struck me because I developed a really strong sense of self and a really vast inner world, I think in large part because of him saying that. So I ended up, you know, um, being really attracted to puzzles, doing things that I didn't need other people to do. I drawed a lot, drew a lot. <laughs> I drew a lot. I, I did a lot of crafts. I was always engaged in making things, building things, Legos, um, all kinds of logic problems, things that I could do on my own where I was always kind of challenging myself or having to create a game where I was one-upping myself. And That ultimately became, um, you know, I think a reason why I explored technology and computers. And when I was 11 years old and convinced my dad to get me my own computer and then convinced me to give him, to give me his credit card so that I could sign up for AOL and then, you know, convinced him, you know, to let me have, uh, you know, a modem and a phone line so that I wasn't tying up the house phone all the time when I was online and and all these things. I I think I was really just trying to pursue something that I could create on my own. And it doesn't surprise me now that I am, you know, a sole proprietor and was an independent consultant for a very long time and now as a coach continue to run my own business and do so mostly on my own. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that 
I've been very stuck in this story about me being alone and that I actually have a ton of support and I also need support a lot more than I've recognized or admitted to in the past. So in the past year or so, I've really been building a team. I have a virtual assistant. I have someone who helps me with business strategy, someone helps me with email marketing, someone who helps me with design. So there's a there's a lot that I'm you know building around me as I realize that it's critical to have that balance in my life and and that guidance and support from people with other perspectives and and other areas of expertise. But I still believe that that sort of commitment that I made to myself in that moment to be alone and still be satisfied has made me very um, introspective. It has made me very resourceful, very determined. And I think as a result of all that, I've had the life that I have and I have the business that I have and I get to live this lifestyle Perhaps if I always had someone else around, I wouldn't have developed those traits. Who knows? Hmm. You think that uh, we can learn how to develop those traits without becoming being only children, like the resourcefulness, the introspective components? Like, Can that be learned, or you think that's just inherently built into people like you because of the life and experience that you've had? It can be learned, and I, can, I see it be learned all the time. I work with clients who have a sense that there's something about themselves they don't know. And if they understood it better, they would make different decisions and they would take their life in a direction that feels way more fulfilling. And so just like I became as resourceful as I am now by engaging in activities that required me to be resourceful. People who aren't only children who have any background, any education, any experience can engage in similar experiments and activities to slowly over time hone those skills. And I really believe that everything we do in life is practice. So if you commit yourself to being more introspective, you can practice exercises that will build your introspection. If you're committed to being more resourceful, you can practice exercises that build your resourcefulness. I truly believe that about everything. The brain is so malleable. We as human beings have just limitless capacity for change and we have amazing resilience and adaptability. I've seen it happen before my eyes and I know what I've done on my own as well. So I, I do really believe that there's nothing that's stopping anyone. Okay. Uh, that raises a question for me of what separates the people who do change, who display resilience and who do adapt from the ones who don't. Well, I mentioned the commitment. Uh-huh. So there's a term in coaching that I detest. <laughs> and that term is coachable. Uh-huh. 
you'll hear coaches say, well, I can't work with someone who isn't coachable. And what they mean, I believe, is that someone has to have the qualities of openness and curiosity and a willingness to explore in order for you as a coach to help them shift and to help guide that change that they seek. There are plenty of people who hire a coach or who are assigned a coach if you know it's uh, internally within their organizations and they are so resistant to the idea of being supported they're so resistant to the idea of changing anything about the way that they currently operate primarily out of fear that they close up and become what some people might call uncoachable and I put very heavy quotes around that I do not believe that there is such thing as a coachable person or an uncoachable person. I believe that people are coachable at the right times in their lives. And there may be times where they're not open to coaching and there are times when they are open to coaching. And all that differs between the two is a real commitment to change and a willingness to be uncomfortable and to go through the pain and stay open. So similarly, if someone wants to build resourcefulness or they want to build leadership capacity, it can't just be that they tell themselves, okay, this is what I have to do now. This is what I should or I'm supposed to do now. I'm going to go seek that out. They have to actually want it, mind, heart, and body, and be willing to throw themselves into it fully regardless of what it takes, regardless of whether it feels good or whether it's scary or not, because they are committed to that result. What I will work with them on the strategy to get them there. And it's a different strategy for every person because we are all unique human beings. But they have to make the commitment and they have to do the work. I can't do that for them. Hmm. So how does your background uh, in human computer experience uh, impact how you work with human beings? Like what have you brought from that world into the work that you do with people? Okay. So, human-computer interaction is the terminology that's used mostly in an academic context. And user experience is the term that's used mostly in an industry context. Regardless of whether it's the academic pursuit or the industry pursuit, what unites these professions is that there is a deep commitment to serving people's needs. And the only way to serve people's needs is to first understand their needs. So when I was going through my undergraduate and then my graduate programs in HCI, it was being drilled into my head on a daily basis that we must start every project by identifying the goals. And what that means is 
actually um, ensuring that we know why we're doing the project in the first place. And to ensure that we know why we're doing the project in the first place, we need to ask a lot of questions of the people for whom we're doing the project. That includes our stakeholders, so the people who have assigned us to the work or who have brought us this project. They're the key decision makers in the organization. And then there's the users or the customers who are ultimately the target audiences for whatever we create. They're the people who will consume and use whatever we produce. So at Carnegie Mellon, there was a tremendous emphasis on starting with expressing goals and to identify needs as a way to do that. With coaching, it's the exact same thing. Within the first hour and a half that I spend with my clients and I do a longer first intake session so that we can really go deep and I can ask a ton of questions and they can really feel like they have the space to share, I am listening for a lot of themes They're telling me all these disparate stories around different parts of their lives. We're talking about their work. We're talking about their relationships. We're talking about their, you know, physical activity. We're talking about their eating habits. We're talking about their education and and where they're trying to take their careers. And all those different areas of their life, things are cropping up. There's issues at play. And regardless of the context in which I'm brought in to work with them, whether they, they reach out to me personally or whether I'm hired by their manager or, or someone else within the organization to work with them, they're feeling some pains. They're feeling some roadblocks. And so a lot of what they'll share has to do with those stories or those examples from their life where things aren't really going the way they want them to. And what I'm listening for while they're sharing all of those stories is what they're really needing and what they really value. So if someone says, um, you know, I just don't have enough experience, then I can hear what they're saying as, I'm scared that I'm not qualified. And what I can recognize is underlying that emotion is that they have a real need to contribute or they have a need to be effective. And so it's that those underlying needs that they highly value their contribution, they highly value effectiveness as an example, that could be coming up in all areas of their life where they're really seeking to make a meaningful contribution, but the strategies that they're using for doing that are not best serving them, and therefore, they're not making progress towards meeting those needs, and they're feeling very dissatisfied, and it's causing a lot of emotions, and as a result, they're behaving in ways that are not in alignment with what they really want. The same exact thing goes for design. When we understand the underlying needs of our users and of our organizations, we can then identify how the existing design 
is missing the mark in successfully satisfying those needs. It may have been an interesting idea. It may have come from what a competitor is doing. It may have been something that worked in the past. But at the moment in time, this is no longer a successful strategy for meeting the needs of the business and the needs of the users. And therefore, we need to come to a better understanding of what strategies will successfully meet both people's needs or all people's needs equally. So there's a lot of crossover and a, and a lot of parallels in these different worlds that I've been involved in. Hmm. What surprised you? Uh, when you've had conversations with people, things that you didn't expect? (laughs) What doesn't surprise me? Every single day I have a coaching session with someone and they say something that completely blows my mind. I mean, I guess most of all, I am taken aback by every person's passion. Many of them are unspoken. Many of them are not pursued. And for some people, that's actually the right decision. I might not see it that way. I might feel that that's a life unfulfilled because they have a passion that isn't being expressed and that they're not working towards living it more fully. But everyone's circumstances are different and I've come to learn not to judge that ultimately what's right for me isn't right for anyone else. And yet, when you really get to know people and they feel safe and they know that they're in good hands and they know that you are there to see and hear them fully they will reveal those things to you that they probably don't even share with themselves. And every single person that I have worked with has an underlying passion. And with many of them, I feel confident that I've helped them get out of their own way enough to pursue it more fully or to come to terms with why they aren't going to pursue it and to find other ways to fulfill those needs, whether it's supporting someone else's passion and they are able to live vicariously and because of their circumstances, that's the right approach, at least for now, so that they can arrive at some solace rather than being in constant conflict with this thing that is calling them and that they're not able to answer the call. But regardless of who the person is, regardless of how we work together or what the issue is that we're there to work together on, they, there is always a passion. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You had a light bulb moment that you talked about earlier. And... I'm curious why you think those moments are so overlooked by so many people. (laughs) I knew in that moment what was happening to me. But there are so many other moments that I've had in my life where it was only many years later that I finally realized just how critical of a moment that really was. I think it's really hard to recognize those light bulb moments while they're happening because in large part, our society does not encourage a lot of 
self-knowledge. In our society, we encourage external exploration. You go to school, you go to industry, these are all the books, these are all the blogs, these are all the newspapers, these are all the movies. You know, there's so much external stimuli that's vying for our attention and we get taught that success comes through our ability to absorb and analyze everything out there in the world. It is rare that we are taught that our inner world is as vast and expansive and rich and deep and powerful and filled with insight as the outside world. So I think that people don't do a lot of listening to themselves. Now, that light bulb moment for me happened to come at an introspective moment. I knew that I was seeking something. And I knew that I was picking up the course catalog very intentionally to see what spoke to me. So I was in a moment of listening inwardly. I think most people miss the light bulb moments because they're not listening inwardly. They're looking for clues and cues and signs from the outside world. You hear all the time, someone will say like, if this is right for me, give me a sign. And then the sign is supposed to be like that, you know, you saw a penny on the street or like, you know, a book fell or a noise was made or the light flickered. It's something outside of us that we're looking for. Rather than learning how to listen to our own gut, how to actually feel our feelings and sense our sensations and know what information that is bringing to us and make sense of that and make clearer decisions for ourselves as a result of that inner knowledge. It's just not something that's really encouraged, but it's changing. I really see a movement towards introspection, self-reflection, inner work, self-care. I think it's happening and I am especially seeing it happening within organizations and in particular with creative people who are experiencing extreme levels of burnout unlike we've ever seen before. Hmm. And there is no solution other than to get to know yourself better so that you can take better care of yourself in this hyper-connected and breakneck pace world that we're living in. So how do you cultivate cultivate that capacity to listen inwardly practice that was a nice pause (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that in fact we all need a lot more of it so one thing that I will offer to clients of mine who have absolutely no experience with inner work, with introspection, with knowing themselves, 
is to once a day take 30 seconds to close their eyes and take a deep breath. It seems like it's nothing. And I have clients who are like, well, she's either nuts or stupid. I'm not sure which because that does not help me at all. And it'll be either a week later or months later that they come back to me and say, the best 30 seconds of my day is when I give myself that break. So it takes practice. It builds from the smallest act and then we get comfortable with that and maybe it becomes a minute, maybe it becomes five minutes where we're just doing a body scan where we're starting with the top of our heads and we're like, okay, what am I feeling? Oh, my ears are a little cold. Oh, my lips are dry. Oh, my neck is sore. Oh, my heart's racing. Oh, my stomach is grumbling. Oh, I'm, I've got a pain on my side. Oh, I feel a throbbing in my foot. Just these little things that we never pay attention to. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I would get up from my desk at the end of the day and I'd hobble home and I would have so much pain in my body and I would have no idea why. And it was because I was stuck in a position at my desk sitting in a really contorted way that I had completely ignored the whole day because my whole universe, it was existing inside of that screen. And it was as if I and my physical body did not exist. And we become so detached from ourselves in that way. So it's really just these really small practices that we start with where we build the competence slowly over time to the point where we then can become really aware of, of ourselves and begin to use our other centers of intelligence beyond our cognitive intelligence, which is what we're typically used to referring to. So when we say someone's intelligent, we're referring to their cognitive intelligence all the time. That's what people mean, that what's going on in their brain. But we as human beings have other centers of intelligence. We have emotional intelligence and we have somatic intelligence, somatic of the body, of the physical body. For, for example, have you ever walked into a meeting and just without analyzing, without some thoughts in your head, just felt the energy in the room was super weird? Yeah. Like maybe they were just talking about you mm -hmm. or like maybe something's going on in the company. You just know there is a physical sensation like maybe you get butterflies in the stomach or maybe your stomach drops or maybe your heart races. Something happens where it's just like, whoa, the energy in here is off. We are energetic beings. We have electricity running through us all the time. And as a result, we are able to sense when energy is different. We, we, you know, there's some people that you just don't want to be around because you don't really like their energy. They're, they're, maybe they're really negative or maybe they're coming from an inauthentic place and you feel that they're fake and it's just uncomfortable to be around them. That's something that your body knows. Those are sensations. 
that you are having that's sharing that information with you. You know, we have the central nervous system. There is information being shared in our body all day, every day that our mind knows nothing about. Because if your head had to get involved in every decision that your nervous system was making, we would be incapacitated. (laughs) We wouldn't be able to exist in the world. So there's a lot that's going on in our body that we are unconscious of. Unconscious meaning it's happening in our nervous system, but not in our minds, not in our conscious minds. It's not part of our awareness. When you cultivate that self-knowledge and when you come to understand these other parts of you that have really important messages to bring to the table that you can use to help you make decisions and act in ways that better serve you and better serve others, you realize that there's all this stuff happening all the time inside of you that you never knew about. And so you've been making decisions without all the necessary information and you've only been bringing a small part of yourself to the table in all of your interactions that you actually haven't allowed your whole self to be a part of the way you live your life. Earlier you mentioned that we're working at breakneck speeds that are driving people towards burnout and I'm interested uh, in your own life if there have been any sort of rock bottom, dark night of the soul moments. And also, you know, having parents who are entrepreneurs, did you see them go through that entrepreneurial roller coaster that so many people experience? <laughs> well, to, to talk about my parents first, I think my parents have been burnt out their whole careers, but they <laughs> have had absolutely no choice but to keep going. And I'm the lucky beneficiary of that, I suppose. I mean, not everyone gets to do something about their burnout. You know, my parents don't come from anything. They, they had loving families, but that was about it. And when you have nothing and you're trying to make something, it takes a lot of sacrifice, And my parents work their tails off. And even in their late 60s, they still do. They travel around the world. They're, you know, on 24-7. Yes, I think there have been lots of times that they have needed a break. And maybe that will come in the form of watching, you know, junk TV before they go to bed. (laughs) And maybe that's the only break you get. But I am deeply fortunate that I have that, you know, experience watching them as evidence of maybe how I might want to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And as a result, when I've come into contact with my own burnout, I've made very different choices. So um, there are so many times that it's happened, but let me give you... (laughs) one example that comes to mind. I was about to turn 30. I was living in New York where I was born and raised. My parents are in the same apartment where I was, you know, brought home from the hospital. And I was at a friend's birthday party on a Saturday night with my boyfriend. 
and we left the party and we were in a cab on the way home to Brooklyn where we lived at the time and we were stuck in traffic in the back of this cab which couldn't be a more normal experience for me on a Saturday night and I don't know what caused it exactly but as the this cab moved forward an inch and then the light turned red and then it turned green and he moved forward an inch and then the light turned red and it was like three or four times that the light had turned and we hadn't gone through the intersection. I had a full-blown panic attack in the back of that cab. I mean, like, it was... I I pushed my boyfriend out of the cab and I just basically had to collapse on the sidewalk trying to catch my breath. I was so overwrought. I was traveling so much for work. You know, I've got clients all over the world. I have speaking gigs all over the world. And I'm so damn fortunate to have those experiences. So I'm telling myself, don't turn anything down. Never complain. Say yes to everything. Do everything the best of your abilities. Like, you know, no breaks. Telling myself, you never know when this is going to end. When people are going to stop you know, having an interest in you and when the work's going to dry up. So you better take advantage of it now. All these things I was telling myself came to a head and just the lack of forward momentum in the cab, I suppose became, you know, a metaphor for the lack of forward momentum in my life and the lack of space and the lack of freedom and independence. And at that moment, I realized I had to get the hell out of there. And it was, it took a while to extricate myself because New York was really all I had ever known. With the exception of, you know, four plus years in Pittsburgh when I was in college, New York is the place I've always lived and it was the place I was sure I would die. And Instead, I realized I needed something else. And it took a while to make it happen, but by the end of October of that same year, so that was January, so January to October, I changed a whole bunch of things in my business and I got rid of almost all of my belongings. My boyfriend got rid of all of his belongings. We bought a car, we packed it up full. Whatever didn't fit, we left on the sidewalk, and we moved to the Florida Keys. And we lived there for a year. For the first six months, we were on Ramrod Key, population 2,000, about three-quarters of which are retirees um, (laughs) and, you know, the others who aren't even there. There were, you know, several unoccupied homes on our street. We lived on a canal with a dock in the back, and the canal led out to the Atlantic Ocean. We had a 16-foot Carolina skiff, which is my boyfriend's pride and joy, just a small motorboat. And we spent most of our days out on that boat, fishing, grilling up what we were eating, drinking wine, and staring up at the stars. It could not have been a greater departure from 
everything I'd ever known. And it was the most essential thing. And it got me more in touch with myself to the point where I realized the way that I was working wasn't working. It wasn't sustainable. It wasn't scalable. And it sure as hell wasn't healthy. And I was going to have to make a major change if I was going to survive. Because I was getting to the point where I didn't even want to do the work anymore. I was like, oh, I hate this stuff. And that was hurtful when I was experiencing it. Because that light bulb moment, I knew that this was my calling. I knew without a doubt it was my calling. And to no longer want to work on your calling is pretty much the shittiest feeling in the world. So I realized it's probably not the calling's fault. It's probably my fault in the way that I'm approaching it. And it was through that space and that openness and that relaxation that I was able to listen inward and realize that I really wanted to shift my business towards something different. And that's where I found coaching. That's how I started in my coaching certification program. And and that is how I got to where I am now. Now, I was working that whole time. It's not like I had a bunch of money saved and I just said, oh, I I don't have to do anything anymore. But I was taking on a lot less and I was doing it from a physical distance, which for me was very helpful because when I was living in New York, my evenings and my lunches and my weekends were filled with plans with friends and contacts and people I was trying to network with. When I was in the Florida Keys, there was nobody to go see. So I just had a whole lot of time. And so even though I was still, you know, doing client work, I was able to transition into this new approach that I wanted to take because I had a lot more space to do so. Wow. Um, One other thing that you mentioned in the very, very early part of our conversation, and I made a note to want to come back to it. You You said when you were really young, uh, playing with VCRs, you had this sense that there was something wrong with the world, and it was the desire that drove you to ultimately do what you ended up doing. I'm wondering in our own lives how we start to uncover what that desire that drives us might be. Well, one of the programs that I offer is it's a group coaching program called Plot Your Course, and it aims to answer this exact question. Because a lot of people have a sense that there's so much more they could be doing, but they don't really know what it is. And it's terribly frustrating. So without that point on the horizon line to stare at and figure out how to get closer to, it feels like they're just in this vast open sea with no direction and therefore no momentum. And so I ask two questions in the very first exercise that we do in Plot Your Course. The first question is, what change do you want to create in the world? And what I've heard from most of my clients is that that is not a question that they've ever asked themselves before. So just asking that question is very powerful. The second question is, what are you trying to achieve right now? 
And what I feel that does is it sets up a recognition that there's very long-term intentions and very short-term intentions. And there is a lot that has to occur between the two. But when you have a clearer sense of what a potential long-term intention might be, maybe it's not the one, but it's a potential one, and you have a better sense of where you are right now, then you can start the work of figuring out how to get from place to place. And I like to say, you know, we are currently living in San Diego. We left, um, we left the Keys at the end of 2013. We drove cross country to San Diego. We were in a beautiful area of San Diego called La Jolla, living right on the beach for a little under a year. And then we bought a sailboat and we moved aboard and now we live on a sailboat. And I did not know much about sailing when we first started pursuing this. But one of the most interesting things that I've learned is that when you're trying to get from one place to another and you're sailing there, you do not go in a straight line. You do not, you know, go in the shortest distance is not the easiest way to go. In fact, if we were to try to sail from San Diego to Seattle, the easiest way to get there would be by way of Hawaii. Most people don't realize that. Most people are very surprised to hear that. But in fact, if you sail from San Diego to Hawaii and then Hawaii to Seattle, you will get there sooner you will get there easier and with a lot less stress because of the way the wind blows. (laughs) And really identifying what that passion or that, uh, that ultimate goal or that purpose that you live by is for every person is an iterative process. So it may be that you take a guess at what that point is on the horizon. You say, you know what, that's where I want to go. Early on, my purpose was to make things easier and more pleasurable to use. That's, that was what it was. It was all about the products. And as time went on and I learned more about the world and I learned more about myself, I iterated on that. And I share all the iterations of what I came to at each stage in my career in Plot Your Course so people can see, like, I went from this to this, and it was because of this. I went to this, from this to that, and it was because of this, etc. Where I am now is that I show creative leaders how to use empathy to get results. It's a very different statement than where I began. To me, it's all the same thing. The reason why I wanted to make things easier and more pleasurable to use was because the people who were making the technology weren't understanding the needs of the people who were using the technology. 
And I got that. I got that in a very tiny way at three compared to what I understand now, of course. All I knew at three was I can do something that other people can't. But it was over time that I realized, oh, this stuff is hard to use because the people who create it are making it for themselves and not for other people. All right. And it was through a lot of exposure that I honed that point on the horizon line. It's still in the same general direction, but now that I'm getting closer to it, I'm able to adjust with greater granularity and insight where I'm really aiming. And now that I've rephrased this for myself as showing creative leaders how to use empathy to get results, now it can be used in the context of designing a better product. It can be used in the context of designing a better organization. And it can be used in the context of designing a better you. Because I believe that it is empathy that is central to all of those pursuits. And that's really where my heart is. I love that. That was so profoundly beautiful. Uh, And I want to do a bit more of a deeper dive into this idea of how we can use empathy uh, in our own lives, because a lot of people listening to this are creative leaders, creative professionals. I mean, how do we take that idea of, you know, using empathy to create more results in our own life? I spent many, many years exploring what empathy really means. I knew that it was the key but I didn't understand how it worked. My sense was, okay, this is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. I just didn't really know how exactly to do that. (laughs) And I saw it exclusively as having to do with understanding other people. I have been exploring empathy for many years. I have a Tumblr at empathyiseverything.com where I share all of the research, all of the articles, all of the anecdotes, all the things that I find in this exploration because there's a lot out there and the topic is gaining traction. So you're seeing it come up more often in mainstream media. There's a, a lot out there. And I really thought it was this enormous topic and I've been trying to piece it together and trying to write a book on it and just feeling like, oh, it's so huge. This summer, I attended a week-long intensive on nonviolent communication. Now, I had heard of the book, Nonviolent Communication, because of my coaching program. It was one of the books on a suggested reading list. And I had bought it. I had it on my Kindle, but I had read all these other books and I never got to that. And a lot was coming up with my clients around conflict at work and I needed resources. So I went back to that book and I finally read it. This is like six months after I've already been certified as a coach and my jaw fell on the floor. Because the entire book is about how to cultivate empathy. And Marshall Rosenberg, the creator of Nonviolent Communication, 
boils it down to the most basic things that it's actually a hell of a lot simpler than I ever realized. Empathy is an understanding of feelings and needs. That's it. Feelings and needs. Feelings are all of the emotions that we as humans experience. I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm nervous. I'm concerned. I'm confused. I'm resentful. I'm excited. I'm happy, etc. We know those feelings. Sometimes we don't recognize that we're feeling them or we don't give, you know, voice to those feelings. But there are studies that show that we experience upwards of 60 emotions on a daily basis. So we are emotional beings and what is happening as we experience these emotions is that they are giving us clues to our unmet needs. Our needs are things like I was describing before, contribution, purpose, fulfillment, acceptance, confidence, etc. When we can connect with the emotions that we're feeling, we can gain insight into the needs we have that are not being met. And when we're able to connect with the feelings of others, we're able to gain insight into their feelings and needs, excuse me, their needs that aren't being met. And once we understand those needs, which in nonviolent communication is sometimes referred to as values, so it might be that your need for fulfillment isn't being met, but that's because you highly value fulfillment. That's why it's an issue. You might have a need for security that isn't being met, but if you don't highly value security, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to be experiencing uncomfortable feelings around it because you don't really value it. But if you do value security and you're feeling terrified, it can be a sign that your need for security is not being met. That is empathy. That's all it is. Feelings and needs. And it starts at home. So the only way to effectively empathize with another person is to be able to effectively empathize with yourself. So anytime judgment arises where you're saying something about, you know, negative towards yourself, you're criticizing yourself, blaming yourself, or doing so about someone else, that is evidence that there are emotions at play. And it's time to take a break, take a pause, and recognize what those feelings are and what they're trying to tell you about your unmet needs. Once you understand your needs, once you understand someone else's needs, then you can properly devise strategies for effectively meeting those needs. But when you are attached to a strategy, 
without an understanding of what need it's meeting and it isn't or it's trying to meet, it's attempting to meet and it isn't meeting that need, you tell yourself or you tell other people that they're just not implementing the strategy correctly. And that's when we get into things like, you made me feel this, you did that. When in actuality, it's the strategy that isn't working. In nonviolent communication, they say conflict occurs at the level of strategies, not needs. What that means is that all needs are universal. All people have all needs. We may prioritize them differently. Like I said, I may not have as much of a need for security as someone else because I have a much higher priority on my need for freedom. I highly value freedom. And I recognize that sometimes freedom comes at the sacrifice of security. That's, that's me. But because I also have a need for security, maybe not as high of a priority – I can understand someone else's need for security because we all have the same needs. And when we understand someone else's needs and how they prioritize them and what isn't being met, we can come to better strategies together. Conflicts occur at the level of strategies, not needs. Wow. Uh, This has been amazing. You've packed this with so many insights. It's been like a a therapy session and, uh, coaching session all in one. (laughs) Thank you. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Their commitment to their own uniqueness. Well, uh, Whitney, I, I really, really have enjoyed this conversation. Uh, one of those that uh, I feel <laughs> needs a lot more exploration just listening to it multiple times. So uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and uh, your journey and all your insights with our listeners. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.